Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 206. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Boss Up. And I'm so delighted to have on today's show one of our featured Boss Up Bootcamp trainers who will be joining us later this month at our San Francisco Boss Up Bootcamp on March 21st and 22nd. I can't wait to bring Bootcamp to the Bay Area where it is just teeming with women who are on the rise and looking to develop their management and leadership skills. Now, my guest today, Michelle King, has so much to share when it comes to advice for first-time managers and how to really think about being the best people manager possible. She's currently the Senior Director of Enablement at SAP Ariba. She studied organizational leadership, women and gender studies, and is currently finishing her MED. Michelle is an educational technology expert, mindfulness instructor, mentor, professional coach, author, and speaker, and a total all-around boss. Michelle, I'm so delighted to not only be seeing you at Boss Up Bootcamp later this month, but to have you on the Boss Up Podcast. Welcome. Oh my gosh, so excited to be here with you, Emily. I'm so stoked to be chatting with you here. I'm so stoked that you'll be joining us as a featured trainer at Boston Bootcamp in the Bay Area later this month. I know, I'm so excited. I am just thrilled to introduce you to the broader listening audience of the Boston Pod. So give us a little bit of background, Michelle. How did you first come into this work when it comes to gender and leadership and, and management? I've been in the workplace uh, probably a lot longer than a lot of women that are kind of really interested in management and leadership topics at this point. So to be perfectly honest, I've been in the workplace for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. And the topic has always been forefront in my mind because I was dealing with in the workplace in, you know, the 80s and the 90s, a lot of gender disparity at every level. From just how people talk to you, whether you got a seat at the table, whether you were thought of as an expert, just all kinds of considerations that were where women were treated very differently than men and were not Mm -hmm. given as many opportunities. And I've basically been fighting that the entire time that I've been working everywhere I go. (laughs) I remember I keynoted a women in personal or actually in in, uh, wealth management conference a couple years back. And I'd say the average age of the audience was like 49, maybe. And after my keynote, which was very well received and went great, these women just regaled me with stories of the 80s on Wall Street. And they were like, oh, honey, let me tell you some more stories. And then they proceeded to drink me under the table. So I feel (laughs) very grateful for the battles we're waging today, which are still important. 
Yeah. And to be honest, you know, I'm so proud of women who are younger than me and the tenacity they have, the ability to see what's been going on and really stand their ground and fight for the continued progress for women and their ability to band together, which really was a big problem back in the day because there were so few women. It just felt so competitive. Yeah. There just wasn't solidarity, which is something I stress when I speak to women all the time is you still need solidarity. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your work. Yeah, so I do a lot of different things in reality. Um, For my sort of day job, I work as an enablement manager, which is a fancy way of saying that I have a team of instructional designers that provide training for the customer support organization inside a software company. And their job is to really work directly with their global organizational leaders to ensure that they're creating training that's effective for helping onboard and sustain the work workers in their ability to understand what's happening with the software because software changes constantly, right? So there's all these updates. So it's a very active and engaging job to have and all the and you have to be very flexible and innovative and creative to do this job. So I have a team of seven people that I manage that do a variety of those things. And then in addition to that, I have my own company called Inspiring In, which is a coaching company. And I also do leadership and management training as well. Yeah. Uh, then I do coaching at work and I'm a diversity and inclusion ambassador at work. And I'm also um, a mindfulness instructor. That's a long resume. I love it. (laughs) A lot of different strengths you bring to the table. And I just have to give a shout out to instructional designers for a moment because Mm -hmm. as someone in the training and development space, I have such love for people who know how to put together great curriculum. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why I think you and I get along. So yeah, well. it's an art and a skill. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So today I want to chat about really what it takes to step up as a manager and as a boss. A lot of women who are joining us at Boss Step Bootcamp this year are striving to get to that next level, you know, that that first promotion into management, which McKinsey and company has recently called the broken rung of leadership because that first promotion from being very good at your job to being very good at managing others who are good at their job, it still goes disproportionately to men. For every 100 men who are promoted into their first management role, only 72 women are given the same opportunity. So they've really identified that area in the overall gender hierarchy in organizations as an area that needs significant improvement and focus. So Tell us a little bit about what you will be sharing at Boss Step Bootcamp about being a great manager when it's your first time in that role. Yes, that is such an incredibly great topic. In fact, a lot of women I coach at work, they are first-time managers and they don't get a lot of support from their managers on how to do their job well. And they come to me because they're in a bit of a panic because they want to do well, but they just haven't had any support or really any structure provided for them to understand what that means. So we've always sort of operated in this structure of trickle-down management 
and we know trickle down economics doesn't work and neither does trickle down management. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> if you basically have a manager that everyone is following and then they're sort of setting the tone for how you're supposed to manage, then it just trickles down to other people. And if they're not a good manager, then you end up with a whole structure inside an organization with a bunch of managers that sort of behave the same way. So the first thing I would say is really understanding what it means to manage people. So if you want to be a people manager and some women want that because of course that is a way to sort of move up in a company, you have to be a people manager to really gain any clout. And that is still true inside of organizations. Absolutely. But what do you do to get there? Which by the way, is such a different skill set than being great at your job. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like we spend all this time perfecting, performing, and pleasing in school. And then mm-hmm. we get out and it takes us a while to realize that the skill set for being good at your job is completely different than doing your homework. And then we figure <laughs> out how to be great at our jobs and try to master some craft in our workplaces. And then if you want to keep rising in your organization, you've got to figure out a whole different skill set. I can understand why people get tired. (laughs) Not everybody wants to be good at management. Absolutely. And so the first thing I would say is if you want to become a people manager, if this is really one of your goals, is to talk to other people managers, ones that you admire. So start to network and find other people in the organization that when you talk to their you know, their direct reports, they say, oh, wow, I really love my manager. And then just get some time on the calendar with, those, with one of those people and just say, you know, I'm really interested in um, becoming a people manager. And I've heard you're really great people manager. I just want to know what is it that you feel that you do that would be beneficial for me to learn? It really creates two pathways for you. First, networking, which I cannot emphasize enough how important networking is. And I don't mean going to an event and networking. I mean, continual networking in your organization. Finding other women who are doing what you want to do and asking them to be a mentor for you. I've done that. I met a woman at a conference I was at. She worked for the same company as I did. I thought she was incredibly impressive. And I just sent her an email after the conference and said, hey, would you be willing to mentor me? And she said, sure. So I started really talking to her about how she got to where she was and started really developing those that skill set. And I will tell you the first thing that I advice I would give you is don't ask for permission. So mm. a lot of women are waiting for someone to go, wow, look at how great you are. Let's make you a manager. Mm-hmm. You have to start going out. I just listened to your branding podcast, by the way, the, the branding episode you did, which was superb, oh, by the way. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And one of the things she talks about in that branding episode is about really setting yourself up for success by deciding who you are and being able Mm -hmm. to have a good elevator pitch. So when you go to people, you don't want to hand them your resume. You want to tell them what you can do for them. Totally. And just tell a story of any kind, really. People like stories. People like people. And I love what you're saying because it's sort of you know, a lot of women are looking at grad school, at business school, at what degree do I need to get that gives me permission to get a promotion? Yes. <laughs> and I am so anti that. I think like I will literally, I've actually refused to have graduate programs sponsor this podcast that have asked. I've like rejected ads from graduate programs because like I completely reject the premise that you have to get another degree to get a promotion. I mean, sometimes it's true. So that's fair. And like, if you want to be a doctor, go get an MD. But 
I really love your whole approach here, which is go find who you have a career crush on and ask them what got them to where they are today. And maybe it's just like taking responsibility for self-education a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the second thing you always want to ask anyone you're networking with is who do you know that I should know? Mm, Yes. Because believe it or not, people really want to help other people. It makes us feel good. So if they think they can help you, they definitely will. And I have told, given that advice to a lot of people I've coached, and they've come back to me literally a week later and said, I have met six new people and I have all this new information on what I want to do and how I can get there. What was it like for you? Can you tell us about your first foray into management? Like what were the some of the biggest obstacles that you ran into or what are obstacles that you see other folks who you coach into management running into as well? So the first time I was ever became a manager, I was actually really young. I was like 22 and I was managing a team that worked at this. I worked for the, in the, on a government site. So I worked on at Long Beach on a Navy base, basically. And I was in charge of the tickets and tours office, which was actually a huge office because we were in Southern California. So everyone would come to buy tickets, discount tickets for, you know, all the amusement parks around. And then any dignitaries that came in, I would set up their tours for while they were in town, et cetera. And I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds familiar. So fortunately for me, it was very structured work and very task-oriented work. Mm. And really the responsibilities that I had were very separate from the responsibilities of the people that I was managing. So they were really working the desk and bringing people up and keeping track of tickets. And I was really in charge of more of the business side of it, making sure my inventory was correct and knowing what I needed and setting up tours, et cetera. So it was very separate. And I felt like I didn't, I learned some things about dealing with people when they're having challenges from that job, but I didn't get enough experience at really managing a team. And so that was kind of interesting. And I felt like I had that experience. And so then when I went into my next position where I was managing a team, that was a whole different experience where Mm. we were working together, similar to what I do now, where we work as a team together. Well, I want to stop you right there for a moment, because this difference came up on the recent trainings I hosted about what women managers need to lead, which Uh based on popular demand, we're actually bringing back on March 9th. I'm hosting it twice more. So I'll drop a link in today's show notes for more information on on that. But this difference between being a great manager versus being a great leader came up. That's right. It sounds like exactly what your experience was, which is, you know, managers stay focused on the work, on the tasks, on the delegation, on the project management, and leaders are really focused on, like you're saying, the people management, the relationship management, trust building. And that is in some ways, a lot harder, I would say. Way harder. Right. So what I tell people managers is if you're a true people manager, not just a, so you're a true people leader, I should say, not just a manager where, right. yes, you have to deal with some of the challenges that come with managing people in general and scheduling and things like that, or, you know, getting tasks done. But if you're a true people leader, your job is the people. Totally. That's your main job making sure your team is good. They know they got, they have what they need to get their jobs done effectively. They feel supported. And I always tell new managers that come to me, your first job in becoming a new manager, your first job as a new manager, I should say, is creating psychological safety on your team. 
Mm, yes. That actually, that term has come up for me more and more lately. And and just to clarify, although it comes up on another episode on the podcast, let's let's I want to hear your sort of definition of that. What does psychological safety really mean? Yeah. So where this comes from, by the way, is just a to backtrack a little bit, is that Google did a study where they said, we're going to figure out, because we're Google and we have analytics up the wazoo, yeah. <laughs> we're going to figure out how to make the perfect team. So they thought, well, you know, maybe it has to do with, you know, th- the skill set of the people or the temperaments of the people or the cultures of the people or the manager and how they lead, et cetera. So they went out and they did all of this testing. They talked to people, they surveyed people, and they came back and they said, the what they found surprised them because some of it was really obvious, right? It was like, oh, expectations are set really well and everyone understands what they are. It's one of the, one of the examples and I'll, I'll talk about expectations in a little bit. But the number one thing that people said made a great team was psychological safety. And psychological mm. safety to me is that the people who work with you feel always two things. One, that you are on their side, even if things are difficult that we're in this together. And secondly, that they can come to you with anything, that they are able to be vulnerable with you. If they're having a struggle, they can come and talk to you about it. So the third component, so the two I was mentioning before were that you need to make sure that the people on your team feel that you're on their side. Yes. And so you've got their back. Number two, they need to feel as though they can come to you with anything and that you're going to listen and be compassionate. But the third thing is there also needs to be psychological safety on the whole team. So it's creating a team atmosphere where people feel safe taking risks and being vulnerable in front of each other. Right. And that was the number one thing they found. And I, I personally have found the same thing. Um, you know, with my team, I have a what we call a distributed team, which means that I have a couple of people that work in an office that is on the other side of the country from me. Mm. I have people that are in Texas. Denver, Colorado. I have someone, one of my, uh, one of my direct reports is in Denver, Colorado, actually. And then I have a couple of people in California and I did have one person in Prague uh, when I first started. And so when you're talking about distributed teams like that, and you're managing a distributed team where everything you're doing is online, creating psychological safety in the very beginning is so critically important to getting anything done effectively. See, we seriously need to have you back on the podcast to just talk about managing virtually because I've been speaking about assertive communication at work for years mm-hmm. now. And a lot of my corporate clients call me back and say, yes. And how does this apply to email or yes. Slack? Because <laughs> we're supporting virtual teams. Like how do you create psychological safety virtually? really, it has to do with the way that you interact. So, you know, and I can talk all about that on a different podcast yeah, too. Seriously. But, you know, everybody, when, when every person that goes to work to stay where they are, and trust me, when I coach people, these are the things that come up all the time. People need to feel like their work matters. So one of your jobs as a leader is to make sure that whatever they're doing, that person thinks that their work matters. They can see the direct connection between what they're doing and how it relates to the larger group and the organization. And a Mm. lot of leaders just skip over that entirely. Right. So how do I know what I'm doing every day means anything? 
Yeah, I was going to say meaning matters, right? The why matters, the purpose matters. I know a lot of folks who get burnt out, not because of overwork, but just because of a lack of purpose behind their work. That's right. And just Mm -hmm. the nature of scale, large scale organizations, it gets tricky to see the end user on occasion. So when you're working for these big global institutions, one of the practices here at Bossed Up that we've done to try to distribute the impact, which Bossed Up's a teeny tiny company. So the impact is usually a lot closer than working for a large, you know, multinational corporation. But I realized that I wasn't actually sharing with my team, who until recently was all virtual, when I got a really great email or when I got a really Mm -hmm. great DM on Instagram from someone whose life was changed by a podcast or one of our free guides. And I said, oh, my God, we need to create a whole other Slack channel called Praise, you know, like a warm and fuzzies celebratory Slack channel just to distribute the warm and fuzzies that come in from in one direction, you know, to make sure everyone's seeing that so critical to ensure that everyone knows that what they're doing is meaningful. Yes. And it matters. Yeah. And it's, sometimes it's hard to make happen. Sure. When you're, especially when you're just focused on like driving towards the goal. Right. Right. And that's why as people leaders, yes, the goals are very important, but the people that report to you are going to be the ones that are really doing the majority of the work on those goals. And here's the other trick. When you become a people manager for the first time, you have to learn to let go. This is the Mm. toughest thing because people are so used to being like a high performing individual contributor. (laughs) And then now all of a sudden it switches and you feel a little lost. Like, okay, well, what am I supposed to be doing? And your sense of purpose tends to be affected by that. So you have to start thinking about how the meaning you're bringing is by supporting your team to get their jobs done effectively. Yeah. I mean, what does that even look like? It's a very different structure. (laughs) I've gotten this question from folks before. How do you hold your team to your own high standards while Mm. letting go, you know, while creating room for others to fail a little or like stumble or grow, however you want to frame it? (laughs) How does that happen? One of the things I also want to mention is I think if you have an opportunity to do hiring as a people leader, because sometimes Mm -hmm. you inherit a team and that's a little bit of a different approach that I help people with than if you are actually hiring the team. So at some point you'll probably do a little both. You'll have people who've been there tenured for a while, and then you'll have new people that come in and it's always balancing all of that out. Right. But hiring is the first step when you are a people leader to really make your mark because you have the opportunity to really stand up for the things you believe in. So for me, diversity and inclusion, very broadly, like experiential, I want people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different ages, different things they can bring to the table. And I always just look at it simply like, can this person lift my team? Right. Is their contribution going to lift the team or is it going to make it harder for the team? Yeah. And hiring for that, right? So making sure you have good team players that can work together. But what you were talking about a minute ago with how do you deal with setting these expectations or getting people to your expectations? The first thing is you need to vocalize what your expectations are. Yeah. Specifically, right? There's a lot of managers that make an assumption that people know what's expected (laughs) of them. Yeah. I learned that the hard way. It's like, oh, you're not a mind reader? Huh? (laughs) Neither is my husband. You'd think I'd learn this by now. (laughs) And it is really like the feeling of humankind is that we are so, we have such a difficult time setting expectations with other people. 
Mm-hmm. We just want them to like the garbage is overflowing. Of course, you're going to take it out when you walk by it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That was too close to home, Michelle. Are you are you seeing through the podcast mic into my house right now? <laughs> you know, my experience is that really setting clear expectations of what you expect from your team on a daily weekly, monthly basis. And so I actually have a one page and also please, please be succinct. This is the other recommendation. If you're going to send, basically what they found is people stop reading after 1200 characters. So if you type more than 1200 characters, people are just going to stop reading. Right. And people want these lengthy, like, here's our, here's how we operate. And it's 10 pages long. No one's going to read that. Employee handbook. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not happening. No one's reading it. Uh, So I do a one page SOP. So this is our standard operating procedures on this team. And here are my expectations of you daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. Wow. I love that. When we do it that way, then when if they don't meet that expectation, then the conversation is about giving feedback, which is another critical skill that I know you're going to go over in Boston Bootcamp. But yeah. I cannot emphasize enough, becoming someone who can give good quality feedback is a really important skill to develop. Yeah. And also to not think of feedback as binary because we have this mindset that causes stress where we say it's positive or negative. Oh, and really yeah. feedback is either redirecting or reinforcing. Right. Either Ooh, you're like saying, that. I want you to do more of this, or I would like you to do this differently. Yeah. And I found as a manager, sometimes I need to be more mindful and just contemplative about what about that did I love? Like mm-hmm. more of that, yes. But, you know, my staff is like, well, what did you like about that? And I'm like, I don't know. I like that. Well, see, that's, but see, this is where people <laughs> get trapped, right? Yeah. Because this is also important and giving people rewards or, or giving them affirmations, that yeah. is also an important human connection, right? That's yeah. so important, but that is not the same as feedback. True, 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 true. Feedback says, Emily, when we were in the meeting last week and you amplified Jenny next to you on her idea, I could see that Jenny was really happy and excited and she spoke more. And I think we got some great ideas out of that. That's feedback. That's it. Right, right. I love that. You're an adult. You're smart enough to realize, hey, that's a good thing. I'm going to do more of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Same thing with redirecting feedback. It's, you know, when we were in the meeting the other day, I noticed you had interrupted Jenny when she was talking and she seemed to shut down after that. Mm-hmm. And you leave it there. That person then gets a chance to respond to what you're saying, but you don't need to judge any of it. You just need to let them know what their impact was. I love that. It's sort of like, again, a narrative structure where I saw this happen. You know, I saw mm-hmm. you do this particular thing and I saw that it resulted in that. What do you think? You know, I like that. Yeah. And it just makes it simple. You're not doing all the talking. So this person doesn't feel like you're criticizing them because people, when you say positive or negative feedback, I'm sorry, negative feedback is just criticism. Right. (laughs) And nobody does well with criticism anyway. We, we, as our defense mechanisms automatically kick in as soon as we start to hear criticism. I know. And it's funny because I've heard so many women say like, I need to get tougher. I need to develop thicker skin so I can just, you know, get over 
constructive criticism? And maybe the answer is no. Maybe we all mm-hmm. need to get better at giving good feedback. Yeah, that's right. If you can't be a compassionate leader, then you're really not doing your job because your job again is people and people not only need compassion and understanding, but they deserve it. Yeah. I saw a recent LinkedIn article that I believe you published on LinkedIn about compassionate leadership. I'm going to, I'll link to it in the show notes, but can you give us the top lines, like the headline of that? What was that all about? Well, I was giving an example just of times in my life where I've had managers who weren't compassionate and how Mm. for me, this, you know, it led to basically me leaving that role because I would say, I am so frustrated. And my manager would say, well, just don't be frustrated. (laughs) That always works. That's like when Brad (laughs) tells me to calm down, (laughs) which I told it. I always say, you know, in the history of the universe, no one has ever calmed down as a result of being told to calm down. No, (laughs) no, no, exactly. So, you know, when somebody says to me, I'm really frustrated, I say to them, well, how can I help? Mm. And then from there, we can have a conversation about it. But if your initial response is doesn't have compassion, then what happens is that person starts to shut down or feel defensive because this person's coming to you with vulnerability. They're saying, I'm struggling right now. And for you to say, well, just don't struggle. It's like, you know, they're at the bottom of the well and you're like, how's it down there? Yeah. (laughs) Hope you get out. (laughs) It's just not effective. So I find that when you're compassionate with people, then they open up more. And actually you can have a conversation about how to resolve their frustration because sometimes it's like, I'm just overwhelmed. I have all of these tasks I need to get done and I don't know how to prioritize that. Okay, well then that's a conversation about maybe prioritizing or maybe looking at, are they overloaded and do we need to shift some work around? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Michelle, I feel like I could seriously talk to you forever on this podcast. I have to cut it off at some point because I got to let you go and <laughs> I want to save it for Bossed Up Bootcamp too, but it is so clear you've got so much to share with our bosses and I am so excited for the women joining us at the San Francisco Bootcamp this year. They're going to be blown away by you and yeah. our talented team of trainers. Where can our listeners keep up with you if they can't make it to bootcamp? Sure. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and um, Twitter as Inspiring In. Um, if you look actually at, at Coaching for Growth on Facebook, you can find me. I'm Inspiring In on um, Twitter and also on uh, Instagram. Awesome. So you can find me any of those places. I just actually started TikTok. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just consuming all the TikToks in the world and I'm fully addicted. It's so fun. <laughs> it is so fun. Well, I will drop links. Thanks to all those relevant profiles in the show notes. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to um, coming to boot camp and talking about all of these subjects that are near and dear to my heart. So thank you so much for letting me this opportunity to meet and talk to these amazing women that are going to come to this boot camp. I'm so, so thrilled to have you. Thank you. To find today's show notes, head to the Bossed Up blog at bossedup.org slash episode 206 and weigh in at the comment section below with your feedback, thoughts, and questions for Michelle or me. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today's Boss Move comes in from Joanna in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, which by the way, if you haven't joined yet, head to our show notes to get the link and join us there. It's been called the best place on Facebook by more than a few members. 
Now, Joanna's boss move is a total entrepreneur boss move, but it is also a bit coded. (laughs) So I'm excited to celebrate her success, but I'm also eager to get more details from her when she is able to share. But here's exactly what she shared. Quote, y'all, nearly five years ago, I went for a walk with two dear friends and colleagues. We were sharing frustrations about where we saw brokenness in the systems we're part of and dreaming of what it would mean to build an alternative. At one point, I noticed them looking at each other meaningfully. And then one of them turned to me to ask, Joe, if this could be your job, would you want it? Without hesitation and with complete clarity, I said yes, 100%. Three years and 20 days ago, that group of three of us grew to six and we started dreaming and building together. This morning, I signed the hiring paperwork for that job, the one that didn't even exist five years ago, but exists now because the three of us and about a dozen more worked our asses off to build something new and powerful with the potential to transform a little pocket of our world to be more whole and just. Now, I don't really know what exactly this job is because she goes on to say how, you know, it's not wholly public yet, so we'll have to stay vague, but this seemed like a good place to celebrate some hell yes news. And she goes on to say, I didn't do it alone, but damn it, I did it. And I am, first of all, like intrigued, Joe. What an intriguing boss move. And second of all, frankly, I know exactly how you feel. This year at Boss Up, we've been bringing on team members who I've worked with for a long time in a very part-time way in a full-time capacity. And it is both a little terrifying and extremely exhilarating to be on such an entrepreneurial adventure with people you love, right? With people you believe in, you respect, you want to work with, doing work that you truly believe can change the world. And even if it's just in our little corner of the world, who cares, right? Like this is a cool little corner and I want to make this little corner excellent. And I just want to send my heartiest of congratulations your way, Joe, uh, because I know exactly how this feels. I'm elated for you. I'm excited for you. And I cannot wait to hear more. I wish you and your colleagues all the success in the world. And it sounds like the world could use you. So let us know more in the Bossed Up Courage community. And in the meantime, we'll keep cheering you on. Now, if you have a boss move to share, even a vague one, (laughs) we want to hear from you. Call it in and bring voice to your own success by leaving a voicemail at the Bossed Up Hotline, 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Or you can always record a voice memo and email it in to us at info at bossedup.org for inclusion as well. Or head to the Bossed Up Courage community and get your brag on, girl because we love cheering you on there. That's all I have for you today. I can't wait to see some of you at Bossed Up Bootcamp this March, this month, I should say, at the end of this month in San Francisco. If you need our support in securing sponsorship from your employer or want to talk with us about our installment plan options, head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp to learn more and you can download a pre-written approval letter template and our Bossed Up Bootcamp Brief, which is a persuasive pitch deck that we've created for you, thanks to Ellie and her beautiful graphic design skills, uh, to really help make the case as to what the ROI is on Bossed Up Bootcamp. If I can help make the case, give me a call, right? Let us know. We are here to help 
And we really and truly believe that this is the program that accelerates your career to that next level to help you ascend in the ranks of leadership and develop those key skills for management and sustainable success. In the meantime, y'all keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.